Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin and Greg Barnes for our weekly show. And guys, appreciate you joining me. I'm going straight to the podcast question thread on Twitter. And Ross, I'm coming at you first. A little non-basketball fashion advice, since you get so many comments about that. Going to a family event this weekend, should I go turtleneck or button down? Planning on jeans regardless. Your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. UNC wins four games, beats both their rivals, and this is what we're talking about, but I will address it. Um, (laughs) A hot hot button issue. For many people, my bosses included, um, you know, it depends on the weather. You know, in December, January, and February, you can rock the the turtleneck. It provides a little warmth um, for the neck, and it's a little thicker material than a button-down. Obviously, in the... In, in the fall and, and summer and spring, you gotta go, you gotta go button down. You gotta button down a couple more buttons than you think's appropriate to let the, the chest hair breathe. Um, the turtleneck, I've rocked a couple of turtlenecks games this this year, and you know I haven't rocked one in, in in decades, and it's a little uncomfortable, and it has to be a certain temperature outside to really get the full benefit. But I do like that look. I rocked it at NC State. Uh, with a blazer and i got some positive reactions from that um and they're really cheap i bought two new turtlenecks for this season um on amazon for like 15 bucks each and they're, they're pretty versatile especially if they have a little bit of elastic in them you can wear them at the ski lodge and you know, by the fire so they're not just a game day attire you know you can put them on and, and throw the football outside so it's a versatile uh, addition to your wardrobe but you know button down can't be beat so it's a classy look uh, just make sure you button them up when you're trying to present yourself. If you're meeting uh, meeting the girlfriends, parents, or trying to shoot a video for IC. Dude, I am dying. Greg, you got <laughs> anything to add? I have a question since uh, since Ross is so knowledgeable. So, button down? Do you tuck in, or do do you let it let it hang out? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think if you're over the age of 28, you have to start tucking it in for occasions, and then as the night. Rage is on. You can start unbutton it, uh, untucking it um, later in the evening. I think once you reach a, reach a certain age in your life, 28, 30, you know, you have to tuck it in more often. You have to you have to stop wearing backwards hats. It's kind of a hard rule. I, I try to live by the, the one deal with button downs. Uh, more buttons come off as the night wears on into the evening. That was kind of my deal in my 20s um there's some pictures that i probably don't want to uh show to people of of how low that button down has gotten but that's a good question uh you gotta tuck it in it's a little sloppy if it's untucked at a formal affair oh boy i'm I'm getting old greg i I haven't worn a turtleneck since like (laughs) 78 and when i saw you ross on press row uh, during that game with that turtleneck on i just i laughed and laughed it great look man Keep it up. I think I wore a uh, a mock turtleneck and and on Christmas Eve of nineteen ninety five with a red sweater. Did you win the award, ugly sweater contest? No, I didn't. I, I wasn't trying to win it. I may have <laughs> unknowingly. All right, let's get into <laughs> let's get into some little uh, basketball news here. Ross put the questions out there and asked uh, my listeners to give us some questions to talk about. 
And uh, as you can see, turtlenecks and button downs and whatever else was on the menu. But Ross, I'm going to start first with you and then we can go back and forth. Uh, Mr. Slagle on Twitter says, what do you see the ceiling for this team? How can they improve the three-point defense? Ross, take it from there. Uh, I'm going to defer to Greg on the defense question. That's his expertise. But ceiling for this team, I mean, we, we've seen them kind of play their best ball recently. I think, obviously, Duke game and times during the state game, definitely in the second half. Um, and then in that big run against Notre Dame, we've kind of, I think that's kind of the team uh, when UNC is playing the best, that's what they look like. And that team, I think, can make it to the Elite Eight. And if the, the pairings work out and they knock down threes, they can make they could make it to the final four. I would not bet on it, but I think the style of play and what we saw the last uh, three or four games is a, is a second weekend, Sweet 16, Elite Eight team. They have to knock down threes, which is kind of a different um, deal for, for UNC. They have to knock down threes. Uh, I've said this before, Kenny Williams, Cam Johnson um, need to knock down at least two or three apiece. And then you kind of get the regular production from Joel Berry um, and Luke May. And then Theo Pinson kind of does what he does on a normal basis with, you know, five assists, eight or so rebounds and around double digit points. That's that's the perfect combination of um, of what UNC has to do to reach their ceiling, which I think is uh, is a is a lead eight team with the right matchups, um, which I think is would be a very positive outlook based on where we were what a week and a half two weeks ago when people were jumping off the cliff um greg what do you think on that on that topic there and if you want to dive into the uh, defense question i'm gonna have tommy rephrase the uh, the defense question for me but i think ross is on on the right uh path here i mean, I, I keep going back to if you look at the the stats and the the games that unc has won versus the stats and the games that unc has lost uh and the games that unc has won Cam Johnson shooting 47%, 39% from three. Kenny Williams is shooting 52%, 45% from three. In the games UNC has lost, Cam has shot 38%, 30% from three. Kenny has shot 37%, 30% from three. So uh, as much as we like to talk about Joe and Luke, I think one thing we can say about those two guys is most of the time you're going to get what you get out of those guys. I mean, they're going to be consistent. There's going to be a few games where maybe their uh, their scoring average is lower than what it typically is, but not very often. But Kenny Williams and Cam Johnson, when both those guys are playing well, uh, North Carolina is very tough to beat, and we've seen that over the past week. That's why North Carolina is on this four-game winning streak. And if that continues, then there's no reason to think North Carolina can't go deep. The problem is going to be what if what if one of those guys or both of those guys have an off night, and then all of a sudden you're playing a good team and it's Joel and Luke uh, really as your only options because there's not a lot of guys coming off the bench that can provide any kind of scoring uh, rhythm. So uh, I think that's that's how it comes into play is you've got these four guys that when they're scoring, they can beat anybody. They can play with anybody in the country. That means it's a Final Four team uh, in terms of what their potential is. But if you have an off night from some of those guys, which we've seen a handful of times, you know, it, it's not that, that caliber. So it really is going to be a matter of, of matchups, and it's going to be a matter of if these guys can get a hot hand and keep it. Yeah, and I think if you've just watched college basketball for the last four or five days, you can see anybody 
can win or lose to anybody else. I mean, Virginia Tech goes up to Charlottesville, scores 16 points in the second half and beat Virginia in overtime, then goes to Duke tonight right before we uh, record this and looks awful against a Duke team that, you know, has looked good or bad depending on who they play. Greg, the defensive question is how can North Carolina improve their defense on three-pointers. I mean, they're giving up 38.5% roughly make percentage there. I, I think what they've done the last couple games is better, uh, but your take there. Yeah, I think you're you're right on point there, Tommy. It has been better, and I think there's a reason because of that. During that three-game losing streak, Roy Williams changed the defense. And it, it's – it took me a couple games to be able to spot it, but you can kind of see it primarily with the ball screens. Uh, but they have switched from their 22 defense, which is where they're very aggressive uh, in the in the passing lanes, very uh, aggressive in denying that first pass. And now they're not doing that. They're in the 21 defense, and pretty much what that is is what you'll notice as you're as you're watching Carolina play, is that the first pass you know, from the from the ball. So if the point guard's at the top of the key, the guys on the wings, where North Carolina typically is on top of those guys and trying to prevent that pass from occurring, they're not doing that now. They're coming back in a little bit off of those offensive players to give them more space. And the reason they are doing that is because where North Carolina has had so many problems is because they're trying to deny on the wing, so they're out on the perimeter. And then if somebody penetrates, those guys have to collapse into the paint or close to the paint. And then if the ball is kicked back out, they have to go back to the perimeter. So it's a out to in, back out. So there's a lot of moving parts there. With the, the 21 defense, North Carolina and Roy Williams have really kind of taken away starting from the outside. So if somebody penetrates, there's not a whole lot of motion that has to take place. It's just a few steps instead of having to take a bunch of steps. And so when the ball kicks out, it's easier to kind of jump back out there. And so I think you, if, you, if you've paid attention the last couple games, uh, the shooting percentage is a little bit better, uh, field goal percentage defense from, from outside, but there have not been as many wide-open threes. There, there, you know, a month ago, two weeks ago even, there were so many games where guys were you know, 10 feet wide open, and you haven't seen that the last week. Uh, and so that's, that's part of the, the shifts that, that Roy Williams has made. Um, he was not happy with ball screen defense against Notre Dame. There was way too many open looks inside. Uh, but we'll have to see if that 21 defense sticks. It's not what Roy prefers to do. He likes to play that pressure-style defense. Uh, but that is one of the, the schematic changes that he has made to try to address this issue. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't see Carolina chasing guys as much. Uh, they sort of, you know, they pack it in a little more and then force the other team to do something besides drive and kick. And it's, and been it's not – yeah, you're right, Tom. It's not uh, – I'm, I'm going to use Virginia as an example, not as saying this is how Carolina plays. But Virginia plays very much a sagging defense where if somebody gets anywhere close to the paint, everybody just kind of morphs into the middle and it's hard to get anything inside. And so this is kind of more of a sagging type defense to prevent penetration and to prevent so much motion back outside, whereas so many times before, UNC is so extended that it's a lot easier to get penetration and therefore get those kickouts. 
Yep, and they've you know we've we've said all year make them make more contested twos than open threes. They've done that, and granted Notre Dame missed quite a few decent looks, but you know it, the more open threes you give up, the more more trouble you're going to have defending it. Ross, let me ask you about you know that portion of it. Have you you're not a defensive guy, <laughs> uh, and you admit that, and I, props for admitting it. Um, but have you noticed a difference? from talking to these guys in the locker room, do they talk about that? Or are they really talking about their defense? I hear a lot of talk about team and playing for each other and all that, but specifics on defense. Yeah. I mean, I think Joel Berry kind of, they all kind of stress how important it is, which is, which is kind of obvious, you know, obviously defense is important. I think the seniors, Joel Berry, Theo Pinson really know the difference a good defensive game can have on the result. Um, and I know Joel Berry, takes a lot of pride in his premier defense and, and pressuring the ball early and extending a lot of effort on that side of the ball. Um, he mentioned that after the uh, Notre Dame game, just like if they can, if they can play well defensively, then this team can go really far. Kind of the, the ceiling we talked about, they have the opportunity and the chance to, to be an elite eight final four type team. If they can put together defensive, uh, good defensive games, I think they're moving that way, but I don't think they're all they're there. Uh, nearly where they need to be. But, uh, you know, obviously they've been stressing defense this entire season, so you would think they would be gradually improving. I think we've seen a little bit of that recently, as as Greg uh, has talked about. But in, in particular, there's not much that really stood out from um, what we got from the interview room on Monday night. Let's talk about Joel Berry, and I'll come, with, come to you, Greg. We talked about this briefly off the air, getting ready to record this show and Barry's really he he's an effective driver. He has not always been an effective finisher, and he's really made some tough shots over people in the lane and done some damage there that's really helped sort of open up the outside for North Carolina's offense. Just speak to what Barry's doing differently, if anything, the last two, three, four games. Yeah, I, I think it is interesting, and I, I think it's a good point that he is finishing better than he had been. And it appears as though he's taken a little bit better shots. I mean, there've been some times where he's just driven in and instead of going right at the rim, he's kind of falling away and you can't do that against your shot blockers or even guys that are six inches taller than you. He doesn't seem to be doing that quite as much, but I don't know that that accounts for, for all the improvement, but it seems, it seems relatively drastic uh, at least of late. He's, he's, really attacking the rim. He's being aggressive. He's making smart decisions with the ball. Uh, and I, I think that's key. I mean, his, his field goal percentage has kind of jumped up quite a bit uh, in, in recent weeks. And I think a lot of that is because you know, he, he is what he is from outside. I um, mean, he's kind of more of a, uh, more of a volume score. I mean, I think in ACC play shooting, you know, shooting 35% from three. So that's, that's good. Not great. Uh, but his two-point field goal percentage has not been very good, and I think part of that is because he's had the tendency to get inside and kind of get get stuck. Uh, so he has done a better job of that. And his his mid-range game, uh, he's showing that a little bit more. He's been more willing to kind of pull up and take some some shots in in the paint instead of trying to get to the basket every time. Uh, so some of that comes into play. But but it is interesting, and it clearly is a very good thing for UNC. Uh, that that is a, a positive trend this time of year for him. I think one thing that's always limited Joel is uh, he's just not as tall as as other guards, and he's it was six foot, if not a little bit shorter. 
and going in there with the trees he has to really adjust how he lets go of the ball and has to kind of draw contact and, and release a different point or even release early as we've seen and kind of beat the the shot blocker to the to the basket but i mean he's he's just not as tall and that's going to be why he's kind of limited as nba prospect as well and, and why unc fans should be excited about a guy like, like kobe white or or Rayshon Black coming in, who are a little taller guards who will be able to be more effective inside. But, you know, I want to trade uh, Joel for any of those guys. It's just – it's kind of just who he is as a player is that it's harder for him to score uh, in the lane as, as say, maybe a um, – like a Kendall Marshall or, or a Marcus Page even. And, you know, when they put Theo Pinson out there sort of running the point, he's able to get in the lane and finish. And, Ross, I think, you know, the, the loss of Felton – really hadn't hurt this team near as much as some people may have thought when it happened because Pinson's really assumed that role of the backup point guard, really the de facto point guard, pretty much all game. Yeah, and I mean, what I've noticed out of Pinson is he's been way more aggressive in all facets of his offensive game. He's, he's not even thinking about shooting threes. He's driving to the lane and really doing some awesome moves in the paint to get off good shots. He's so strong. And I mean, he, he's probably stronger than a lot of the big men he goes against. Um, and he's able to, he's able to score in the paint. And that's been the most impressive thing I've, I've seen in the last, you know, three or four games. And then obviously he's always been a good passer. So that's, that role has come easy for him. And I think his overall play combined with the increased three point shooting has been a big reason for UNC's uh, four, four game uh, winning streak. They do not miss Jaleek Felton. Um, obviously, they could use uh, some more breathers for, for Joel Berry down the stretch. Um, and, and hopefully maybe Seventh Woods can kind of step in and, and be a little more effective. I think he got like three fouls in, in two or three minutes on Monday night. So that's not going to cut it. But uh, if, if Seventh Woods come in and, you know, just play some good defense, throw a sister or two and, and score, you know, two or three, four points, that's going to be huge uh, just to give Joel Berry a little bit more break and be an effective uh, point guard option when Barry steps out. Yeah, and one thing that I've noticed the last couple games is uh, you know, Pinson, even when Barry's in the game, Pinson has been bringing the ball up more. And that does a couple things. One, that takes some stress off of Barry having to contend with pressure uh, with the ball in his hands walking up the court. But it also allows Barry to kind of work off screens and, and, and just you know, work off the ball. Uh, he's he's one of the few guys that UNC has that can create his own shot, but he's also a very good spot-up shooter. Uh, and what we know, clearly, Kenny and Cam are kind of the same way. So uh, I, I think that's one way that, that Roy is trying to give Barry a little bit of a rest in the game, if that makes sense, instead of having him just kind of bring the ball to court all the time. Uh, but, but Theo has has played very well. He's, he's a great facilitator. And how about this stat, guys? I think this is this is very interesting. Uh, Barry's he shot 96 free throws this year. Theo Pinson shot 93. Luke May has shot 92. So Barry and Pinson have both shot more free throws than May this year. Yeah, Luke May does not get uh, many calls down there underneath for whatever reason. The kicker there, Greg, and this is a question we can talk about. Luke May is Joe Barry's 86 for 96. Luke May only 58 for 92. I noticed in Sherelle's weekly scoop, the Luke May edition, uh, one of the insiders mentioned that is the one thing that Luke May does not do well. Uh, it's got to be mental, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it's such a uh, such a fluky thing. I mean, he's actually shooting better this year from the free throw line than he has his first two years. Uh, see, yeah, it's got to be mental. The the way that he's shooting the ball from outside. I mean, he's shooting forty six percent from three on the season, forty seven percent from three in ACC play. While he's not taking the number of threes that, that Barry, Kenny, or, or Cam are taking, uh, he, he's still taking, you know, probably about four a game. I think that's what kind of averages out to. So uh, it is it is just one of those random things. But, but I tell you, knowing how this kid works and knowing that he's you know, up in the morning at 8 o'clock shooting in the gym, stays after practice, uh, I would say next year uh, it would not surprise me to see that free throw percentage up to around 70%. And Greg, I was looking at his stats today, and he's he's got ten point four rebounds right now, averaging ten point four rebounds. So it'll be very interesting if he can uh, maintain that double double through the regular season with four games left. He'd have to rebound pretty low numbers to reach that double double to to not get the double double that we argued about in the, in the preseason. So uh, he, he's he's tinkering on uh, right around ten right now. So we'll see. And not only that, but as Brian Ives, the former IC intern and works for ESPN now, as he tweeted out last week, if, if Luke May finishes the season with more than you know a 10 rebound per game average, as well as shooting 45% or better from three, he would be the first major college player to ever do that. And Jay Billis talked about it during the, the Duke game tonight, Tommy, said that the last player to average 10 rebounds and shoot better than 40% from three was Kevin Durant. So we're talking about rarefied air for Luke, which is just is still, I mean, even we're 27 games in and it's still just mind boggling to me. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back and continue this Luke May discussion. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Luke May on the verge of history, which brings me to my next question, Ross, and I'll start with you on this. Luke May, All-American think clearly he's an all-american on somebody's team but i think he's going to be probably a consensus second team guy your thoughts on that one <laughs> i mean i don't really know the other good players in the in the nation uh well i think I part really... of my thing is is i can't fathom luke may being first team all-american i, I yeah. think when i watch i say surely there are five guys that'll that'll get there ahead of him but there may not be five that deserve I... it more and he has better stats than Bryce Johnson had when Bryce Johnson was a first team, consensus first team All American. I think Bryce Johnson was averaging more like 16 points that year. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the, at least very similar stats when Bryce Johnson won, uh, when Bryce Johnson was a consensus first team All American. Um, you know, and even second team, I think if some publications have you as a second team All American, you get your jersey. Uh, in the rafters, so that'll be interesting to watch. I think he's definitely a first team All ACC player right there uh, behind Bagley in the ACC Player of the Year awards. Because I think the luster of UNC carries a lot of weight in these voting things. You know, they see who UNC has played, really tough competition. They consider all that that they are the 
uh, reigning national champions and the teams have them on on a bullseye when they play them. So all that's considered, but definitely an All-American. And uh, yeah, I think second team sounds about right, which is just incredible as we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. And I think a lot of it is is based on how North Carolina finishes uh, because you know, there's plenty of guys that can score and grab rebounds on teams that are, eh, you know, kind of borderline and get to the tournament but aren't high seeds. But if UNC closes strong and keeps playing the way they are, I don't think there'll be any doubt. I mean, I, I think clearly he is a unanimous first-team All-ACC guy behind Bagley. I think Bagley will win player of the year unless he doesn't play anymore. I mean, he's missed two games in a row now. But nationally, I mean, Trey Young's first team All-America, even though I, I hate volume shooters like he is. But he's a good player. Bagley, for sure, will be first team. I would assume Keenan Evans, Texas Tech, will be. Jalen Brunson's in the running at Villanova. DeAndre Aton, I, I think I'd take May over him right now. But he's had, you know, he's got so much potential at Arizona. And then you've got, you know, Gary Clark's had a good year. I'm trying to think who else there is. But I mean, that's only what, six or seven guys that he's in contention with. At this point in time, I think he's got to be the second team in All-America. And as Ross mentioned, I know Sporting News is one of the publications. That's what uh, Paige that, got on with. Right, exactly. Sophomore year. Uh, that'll, get you, that'll get you in the rafters. So uh, if he keeps playing like he's playing, uh, very, very easily could he be a second team All-America and – uh, maybe not quite as easily, but still potential for him to, to have his jersey in the rafters after this year. Isn't that odd that like one publication, they name you second team, is worthy of rafters and others aren't? Like that seems so odd, especially sporting news, which seems like an outdated rule. I wonder if they ever kind of well, revise that. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think part of it is that you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't so many publications putting out all America lists. And so you had certain ones that carried much more weight. Yeah. And you're right, the sporting news is not what it used to be. Uh, but to my knowledge, UNC has not, uh, has not revisited it. And so that, that would be something interesting to, to talk to them about. And you look and see a guy like Kennedy Meeks is not up there. And I think, I think he should have been MOP at the Final Four last year. No knock on Barry for getting it. But anyway... If Luke May averages 45 three-point percentage and 10 rebounds, Greg, how is he? how can anybody make a case that he's not a first-team All-American? If he's the first person in college basketball, major college basketball history to do that? Uh, I would say maybe it's a, it's a volume aspect. I mean, I think – let's see what he's got here. I think in accordance with the – NCAA stats to even qualify for three point percentage. I think it's, you got to make two and a half per game and he's not there. So when I checked last week, he was not actually in the NCAA rankings. He'd have been the top five in the country, but he just doesn't take as many three point shots as a lot of other guys. And so maybe that matters to people. And I think other people see this as a, a Barry team and, and may kind of benefiting so there's a lot of different reasons into it, but I, I think you know, clearly you can make a case that, hey, he's, he's playing up to a first-team All-America level. You're not going to get any complaints from me about that. Uh, but there are other guys who are having good years, and there are other guys who are having to carry their team. And they don't have teammates that are helping like Luke gets. So it really just depends on 
what vantage point you want to take, what your perspective is, and what you value more than other things is is what it's going to come down to in terms of the voting. Yeah, I would wager he makes at least one first-team All-American. It may be some random group that does it, but I think he'd probably get one unless Carolina tanks it from here. Let's take one more question, and let's talk about the future. And I really don't (laughs) like talking about the future when the current's still happening, but Ross, uh, with the commitments coming in next year, Coupled with who may be returning, do you see small balls sticking around for at least more se- one more season? And let's kind of mix in Cam Johnson into this because I think that is the uh, the wild card as far as who's coming back. We know what recruits they've signed thus far, but uh, Cam Johnson, I you know I, I can't imagine that, that he comes back. But your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is a. I know it's it's kind of weird to be talking about that while UNC's making a run and going and entering the tournaments here in a bit but it's always fun to talk about and and fans love it and one thing important to note that ej montgomery took a visit to unc is and is considering the tar heels so who knows what happens there with him committing um to a school he's a 610 ford out of georgia but uh yeah cam johnson's decision whether he comes back or not will play a a big role and maybe he just wants to get out of school and start making money whether that be in the nba or um you know, professionally somewhere else. Some people just want to kind of graduate and, and, and enter the professional life, knowing how the limited amount of time they have to make to make money as a basketball player. So, I mean, let's say if Cam Johnson does come back, I think at point guard, you have to go with uh, Seventh Woods, uh, given the situation that Jalik finds himself in right now. Uh, point guard, sorry, uh, shooting guard would have to be Kenny Williams. And then I think at small forward, you would go with Nasir Little, the freshman, I think, really starts him. Maybe not the beginning of the season, but I think very early on, you'll see that Nasir, Nasir Little is going to be the best player that UNC has on the team. And then I think they do go small. They have to play Cam Johnson and then uh, and then Luke May, of course. That's a slider lineup because you don't have Theo Pinson, who brings a lot more beef inside. But Nasir Little is big. He's strong. He's big. He's athletic. He can bang down low a little bit. So that's a, it's a small lineup. But it's a, a, a high-scoring lineup with people who can shoot threes. Then you have Kobe White uh, coming off the bench. You have Brandon Robinson, who's who's played some strong minutes this year, also coming off the bench. And then, of course, Garrison Brooks and Sterling Manley and, and Brandon Huffman, who I think will all be much improved. God like the way Manley's kind of played in spots here and there. And both those guys, Brooks and Manley, will be much improved next year. So there's a lot of different lineups. You know, it's kind of weird. Really could revert to a bigger lineup given the improvement of a Brooks or a Manley. Uh, but then who do you really sit, especially if Cam Johnson comes back? So that's kind of the questions going through my mind right now, having thought about that for literally uh, one minute. Here. <laughs> Greg, I, I think, I think, uh, yeah. And for the record, the, we're answering readers' questions. So, folks, if you're wondering why we're talking about this stuff, because you ask it. Uh, <laughs> Greg, I think Sterling Manley starts next year. I think Luke May, Sterling Manley are at the four or five next year, regardless of who's there. Uh, well, if Cam Johnson comes back, that may change things. But I think Manley and Luke May gets Roy Williams back to his traditional comfort zone. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and, and I want to say that in the preseason, I said Kenny Williams was going to start this year. He started all 27 games. I got some pushback on that. I'm going to toot my horn there for a second. But uh, having said that, the reason I say that is Roy loves defense. He's he's loyal to his veterans. So if Cam decides to come back, 
I think it's very clearly going to be seventh because you don't have any other option at point guard. Kenny, Cam, Luke, and Sterling. Uh, Roy clearly is is big on Manley's potential, and I think you'll see dramatic growth from Manley from now until next year. Um, I think I don't know that he'll be an All ACC type center next year, but at least by his junior year, I think he'll be a force. There's so much potential there in that kid, and then he's going to let those freshmen battle it out and see who actually is deserving. Now, if Cam goes pro, uh, then then sure, you know maybe maybe Little is the guy that steps in naturally at that three spot. Uh, but you know if Cam and Kenny are, are both back as as you know, Kenny, I think for sure will be back. And if Cam decides to come back, it's going to take an awful lot for those freshmen to come in and, and knock them uh, out of their starting positions. This is how Roy has always been, uh, and I, I don't see why that would change. Yeah, and I certainly agree that that's probably what would happen if Cam came back. Uh, if he doesn't, it makes it easy to start little, but it kind of puts Roy in a predicament and kind of what teams use to recruit against him with not playing and and showing your five-star freshman and, and not giving those studs a chance to shine and kind of plays into that rhetoric, which has kind of hindered him on the recruiting trail because Nasir Little is, a, is an elite talent. You know, he's he's coming in uh, top 10 player in the country. Probably, I mean, I don't I don't know exactly how much better he would be than but probably stronger and better and a better athlete than Justin Jackson was as a freshman and more of a diverse offensive threat. And uh, it's going to be hard to keep him off the court. So even if he doesn't start, I would expect Nasir Little to, to play in the close to 20, you know, 22 minutes uh, off the bench in relief of, of Kenny and Cam. And, and maybe if they go small, they'll have some options there for him to get more time as well. Because he's, he's a pretty special talent, just athletically and physically where he is right now as an 18-year-old. Yeah, and the other the other aspect to, of it too is, why did UNC go small this year? It's because their best players were on the perimeter, and they had an abundance of players on the perimeter. But now, you know, good chance that Felton's not back. You lose Barry, you lose Pinson. So, I mean, those are those are three you know, guys that were were all highly recruited, and then of course we know what Pinson and Barry bring to the table. So you lose you all three options there off your uh, perimeter and you're not losing anybody out of the, the front court. And so the balance of power kind of shifts back. And I think it sets up very well for, for Roy to be able to uh, go back to that traditional lineup more, you know, more, more often than not primarily because he gets those guys for a full summer to get them in shape, which is Manley's issue. Uh, and then to kind of teach them up. And I think you'll see them be dramatically better next year. Good stuff, boys. Carolina and Louisville, Saturday night, 8-15 at the Yum Yum Center. Who's got that? Greg, I know you'll be there. Ross, you going to Yum Yum? I'm not. Uh, John is going, though. John's taking a big road trip. Our our video guy is heading out there. Nice. Look forward to the coverage. Uh, that'll do it for this edition. Ross, Greg, uh, appreciate the fashion advice, Ross. I'm probably, <laughs> anytime. Probably not going to be buying any turtlenecks anytime soon, but if I ever do, I know how to rock them, Greg, yeah. as always. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.